It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. An interesting thing happened to me at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. And I'm sure a lot of people can say things like that because 2020 was an interesting year. And we're recording this on January 2nd. So it's a really, really early time to be talking about 2021. For me, I posted a video on TikTok somewhere around Christmas. I don't remember the exact date. It might have been after somewhere around Christmas, New Year's, that time frame. And it was showing people that you can make non-alcoholic cocktails, aka mocktails, using a product called Seedlip. And this was not a sponsored video, but Seedlip had sponsored me at the beginning of 2020, in fact, about a year ago. And I had a lot of products left over. I wanted to use them. <laughs> I discovered I was supposed to use them six months after opening them. And here I am a year later. But, you know, they're still actually really good. And if you've never heard of Seedlip, we will link to them in the show notes because they are lovely. The show notes are at wellevator.com, which is spelled W E L L E V A T R.com. And you should be able to find that link if you just look within the description of this episode. We try to make it really easy for you. And we'll link to any products, resources, TikTok videos, whatever comes up in this episode. So I was inspired to make this video because I had a conversation with somebody who says that they don't drink. And I'm somebody who drinks very lightly. I don't really consider myself a drinker or a non-drinker. I kind of fall in between. It's not something I think much about. And when I call myself a, a drinker, I mean like occasionally I drink alcohol. I'm not sober. And Jason's in the same category. He drinks less than I do. During COVID, I found myself drinking a little bit more often. I don't know why. Maybe it was just kind of boredom. (laughs) I started drinking a little wine. We've talked about this in some of the other episodes. But I do really enjoy drinks even when they don't have alcohol in them because it's not about getting a buzz, getting drunk, getting wavy, as some people call it. It's really about the experience. I love the taste of drinks. And that's why products like Seedlip And actually, there are a variety of of products similar to them, which are kind of recreating the experience of alcohol without alcohol. So in the Seedlip case, they're non-alcoholic distilled spirits, I believe is what they call them. And they don't really taste like alcohol. They taste like spices. They're made with herbs and barks and peels like citrus peels. They're delicious. And there's another brand called Kin I've been wanting to try. There's a brand called Ritual. I'm really starting to discover all these wonderful options. And then another one that I tried recently, which I think I talked about on the podcast once, is called Curious. They make elixirs and their tagline is shaken, not slurred because they replicate this experience of a delicious cocktail without any alcohol. And I'm just curious about it. I love beverages. So I make this video on TikTok about Seedlip. Don't think much about it. I'm creating a ton of TikTok videos, usually one a day. So I make it, I move on to the next one. Lo and behold, this video kind of blows up and it starts gaining traction and comments and people seem really interested. They're asking a ton of questions. So many comments, I can't even keep up with it. But I'm fascinated by this response because people are starting to, well, I was going to say take sides, but I don't know if that's the best way to describe this because some people are saying things like, what's the point of a cocktail if you don't get drunk? And some people are saying, oh my gosh, this is so great. I don't drink and I didn't know this existed. And so this just like whole conversation starts to develop and I'm trying to keep track of everything. And I actually, (laughs) you'd laugh at this, Jason. I don't know if I told you this. I downloaded the comments into a spreadsheet and I found this really cool tool that allows you to do that. (laughs) I had to hold back uproarious laughter when you said the word spreadsheet because a little bit of insider information that I'm not sure we've ever disclosed here on the podcast. Whitney is known not only by myself, but our close friends and business colleagues as being one of the most organized people we have ever known. And I believe you've you've also been dubbed, I don't know who started this. Maybe it was me. I don't know. Someone called you like the queen of spreadsheets. Maybe it was Tess Masters. Maybe it was someone at some point years ago was like, oh, oh yeah, Whitney, she's the queen of spreadsheets. And you are. So that's why I had to laugh that you made a spreadsheet out of TikTok comments and also not surprised. 
Well, it really helps me organize things. And being someone that falls kind of in the type A category of life, I process information when I can see it visually. And I like to organize things for me to better understand them. I love research. I love analyzing. And so I was wanting to find a system so that I could address these people because this first video, which is implying, spoiler alert, there are more videos coming up in the story. But this first non-alcoholic video, I was so intrigued by what people were saying because it really opened my eyes. Being somebody who's not sober, I don't have a lot of personal experience with alcoholism. I don't have a health condition. I'm not super religious. Like I don't have any of these big reasons not to drink. And that's why occasionally I do drink. I like the experience. I think a lot of people enjoy alcohol for the social side of it. And this was actually the main inspiration for making this video was that I wanted people to feel included. I wanted people to feel like they could have a drink in their hand and be around people that might be drinking alcohol. And nobody can tell the difference. It's kind of like being vegan, right? When you go to a party and there's vegan options, you feel included. If you have food that other people are eating that happens to be vegan, even better because no one's going to single you out for being vegan. And this can be really challenging socially. Now, granted, because of the pandemic, we're not socializing quite as much. But there's so many examples of this even online. You know, I went to a little virtual holiday party and a number of people were drinking and nobody really knew what somebody was drinking or not because we weren't that close by. But it felt like you could be part of the experience simply by having a drink, whether it was alcoholic or non. So that was really why I made this video and then why I started paying attention to all these comments. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make something else, a, a spinoff of this video. And so I made a few more. Another mocktail, I actually made one with, with coffee because coffee is a big focus of mine with my new ebook, The Mindful Mug, which by the time this episode comes out, the book should be available. And I will link to that in the show notes too at wellevator.com. I'm really passionate about coffee. And so here I am like wanting to make videos about coffee, but somehow this this mocktail video takes off. And I know this is a long story. I'm in the back of my head, Jason. I'm feeling like I better get to the point quickly because I'm reading this book right now called We Need to Talk by Celeste Headley, who may be a guest on our show very soon. And the chapter I read last night was like, get to the point quickly. Like people don't want to hear you ramble on. So I tend to like have a lot of backstory, but I think these details are important. So long story wrapping up here is that I made a spinoff video explaining why mocktails are beneficial to people. Because so many people in that first video were like, what's the point? That was like literally a phrase a lot of people were using. Like, what's the point of drinking if you don't get drunk? And I think they were genuinely curious. And some people might be like making fun of this. But this is the thing, Jason, that's super fascinating. And I want to hear your opinion on it as somebody who doesn't drink that much. Because typically when you and I go to a party, I might have a glass of wine or a cocktail. You usually don't. So I can't wait to hear your personal experiences with this that I can't relate to at this point in my life because I realize that there's a lot of shame actually in not drinking. And shame is such a word and an experience that I'm really passionate about. So when I started realizing that people wanted to feel included so badly and they didn't want to feel shame, I was like, aha, this is my motivation. So now I guess I'm making more videos about not drinking. And then my next concept is like, how do I pivot this into a bigger conversation about shame and inclusivity? I think, you know, first and foremost, before I kind of talk about my experience with, with drinking and my consumption choices and, and why I choose to do what I do, it reminds me of a portion of the conversation we had with our guest and mutual friend, Jason Horton. And again, we will link to that episode in the show notes. It was really talking about a lot of social media content creation and the sort of back-end underground of being an influencer and the business mechanics of that. It was a really great conversation with Jason. So we encourage you, dear listener, to take a listen to that one. But one of the portions of that, Whitney, reminded me of was how sometimes in the three of us in that conversation, and, and perhaps if there are any listeners who are also content creators, that you put all of this time and effort and planning and strategy into a piece of content, and it doesn't get the type of views or engagement or type, you know, type of response that we would hope or intend. 
And then you do something like this, where obviously you did have an intention and you wanted to, you know, highlight this wonderful product, Seedlip. But it sounds to me like you didn't go into it with like, I'm going to spend all this time and all this production budget, and I have this storyboard, and we know what that's like to put all that effort and time and and oftentimes money into producing something, and then it kind of flops. But it's interesting you release this with no expectation. You didn't have this intent of like, I'm going to create this massively viral video. And you just did it and released it. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I endeavor to continue to focus on that style of approach, Whitney, rather than, okay, I spent all this time, money, effort, energy, it ought to do good. I think it's just a, a great lesson in releasing any expectations of how our content or creations are going to do in the world and then being pleasantly surprised when they do because there aren't expectations. So that's the first thing, you know? Well, on that note, that actually happened to me yesterday with my one of the follow-up videos I did, which was about why people don't drink. And I spent so much time on that video. And I remember working on it thinking like, oh my gosh, like why am I why am I putting so much energy into this? It might get like a few hundred views. It might get like maybe a thousand views, whatever. That's that's typically what I receive on TikTok up until recently. I mean, honestly, that mocktail video has blown up my whole account relative to my experience. And so I put out this follow-up video, Jason, having put so much energy in it. And to your point, I remember thinking, I'm putting this piece out because I feel passionate about this and I want to acknowledge people. Like That was my driving factor. And I do think that's incredibly important because it is so easy to get caught up in like the numbers. But if you focus on helping and serving people, sometimes it also has the benefit of the numbers. And so when I made that second, or it technically wasn't the second one, but like the main follow-up video, I should say, out of a few, I just put it out there. And I was on TikTok casually just watching the response. And there was a moment where it went from around 500 views to 6,000 views, like in a, a minute. And I thought, what? I could not believe it. And then as of the time of this recording, it has almost 300,000 views, which again, for me is huge on TikTok. And the comments are flooring me, flooring. I'm definitely turning this into a spreadsheet, Jason, because Last I checked, there was over 700 comments. And my desire is to go through and like understand these people because they're clearly so passionate about this subject matter that they are taking the time to comment hundreds. I mean, approaching a thousand people are commenting on this video that I made less than 24 hours ago. And like my heart is swelling with compassion for them. And that is one of the most rewarding feelings above and beyond any, any metric from social media. I think, you know, the psychology of this is fascinating. We were talking before the podcast about some people we know that are are really aligned with sober living and and have come from the entertainment background and and music and things like that. But it you were sharing some of the comments, Whitney, of people who have certain medical conditions or or religious beliefs that, you know, make them choose not to drink alcohol. And and you asked a few minutes ago about sort of my personal philosophy, I suppose, or perspective on all of it. I'm not anti alcohol at all. I just, for a variety of reasons, have chosen to be very mindful and judicious about my consumption. And when I was in my early 20s, in my mid to late 20s, singing in, in different bands, I remember, you know, drinking a lot before shows to loosen up, to, you know, and if anyone knows me even a little bit, you know that I, I tend not to have a lot of inhibitions. But when you're getting on stage and you're, you're singing a music set for a crowd you've never seen before, you know, it, you, then it gets nerve wracking. It's very... You get a lot of butterflies. So I found that drinking, you know, helped to reduce that sense of fear or nervousness. But I just, I remember very vividly, this was like maybe 2005 that I went out to a show. I wasn't playing a show with the band. I went out in Detroit to go see another band and I got so drunk. And this was, you know, I, this wasn't like a nightly thing, but I just remember this one particular time of so violently drunk. I mean, in the bathroom at my townhouse in Detroit, like projectile vomiting, you know, just, just like the kind where you're like, oh my God, I remember my head being over the toilet bowl. And I remember saying to myself, don't do this again. Just don't, don't do this again. Don't get like stupid projectile vomit blackout drunk. And that was the last time I got drunk. I've been buzzed. I've been tipsy. I've had, you know, a little bit of wine here and there. And also, you know, at this point, Whitney, I might have a glass of wine a few times a year, a couple shots. I actually do like Japanese whiskey. 
truth be told. But I only do that on special occasions. And I'll take a shot of Japanese whiskey. It's more of like a, a ritual rather than something I need as a social lubricant or something to dissolve my inhibitions. But the other thing too that I mentioned in this podcast a little bit was I've had a few uh, flare-ups with gout that you've actually been present to, Whitney, of how painful, excruciatingly painful that condition of gout when it comes on can be. And I, I realized that alcohol helps to increase the level of uric acid in your body, which if you don't flush out the uric acid, forms dagger-shaped crystals in your tissues, which is also known as gout. So I don't drink that much simply because I do not want to experience that level of pain in my body. If anybody doesn't know what gout is like, I think the tiny dagger-shaped crystals is an apt description. It is some of the most pain I've ever felt in my life. So long story short, I like alcohol in very, very small doses for celebratory reasons or for ritualistic reasons, but I limit it because I realize that if I do it too much or even moderately, I don't feel good physically. I don't think it's for my personal health, doing it too much is not good. It's really interesting like when you start to learn more about the reasons that people eat and drink. You know, and I think that's probably why this subject matter is so fascinating to me. And I, it's such a complex thing, right? Because it's literally connected to us and our survival. You know, we need food and beverages, at the very least, water to survive. And then you tie in the social element of it, and that's a whole nother level, right? I mean, again, it, it, I'd be fascinated to do some more research on if drinking has gone up or down during the pandemic and why and how's that, how that's changed. You know, as I said, I started drinking alcohol a little bit more often and it's hard for me to really pinpoint why. Like I said, it felt like it was more curiosity and boredom. And I also think I was influenced by social posts around people saying like, I'm drinking to get through this pandemic. So maybe that just subtly encouraged me. I remember going to the store and picking up canned wine and thinking like, oh, this is fun. I'll try it. And then I got on like this canned wine kick. And then like that felt really expensive. So I started buying bottles of wine occasionally. And I just kind of went through that phase. And now I'm like, more interested in hard seltzer and not just White Claw, but there's like all these other brands that have hard seltzer and that tends to be keto friendly as well. So, you know, I, I, I like that flavor experience. But again, the more I step back and examine it, it's like, I like the flavor. I'm not, the buzz doesn't always feel good to me. And on the social side of it, if I don't feel like I'm doing what other people are doing, like at a party when there's a tray being passed around of champagne, usually I'll just pick it up because it's there, right? And now it's I have to make a, a deeper effort to go have alcohol. So I'm curious how many people are drinking less as a result of those things. Like it's not as social and maybe access is reduced. Like you're, if you were going to a lot of events that would have alcohol, maybe you're drinking a lot less, right? Maybe you're going to the store less. You're not going to the bars to hang out. Like a lot of those scenarios have changed. But on the other hand, there might be people that drink more because they're trying to numb themselves and cope. And that's another topic I want to talk about with you today, Jason, because I'm really fascinated with this. And one video I'm planning on making is really diving in deep as an examination about why people drink to cope with life. You know, like one of the comments that really stuck out for me was this guy saying like, if I drink something and it doesn't make me forget my pain, then I'm not interested. And I know it's a joke and it's relatable, which is basically what makes it a joke. But if we step back and take that seriously, I mean, he on some level, if not a major level, that person probably meant that for real, you know, and I think so many people drink to forget, drink to not drink to numb, drink to feel more comfortable. And with this show being about discomfort, one of our big focuses is like, what if we leaned into that discomfort instead of trying to numb it? And I'm curious for you, Jason, do you have anything right now that you do or take to consciously like numb yourself when you're really struggling? And if not, like, I mean, how have you been handling your struggles? I mean, I'm not sure how much you want to share, but I know offline you've shared some things with me. And, and so I want to be respectful of your personal life. And so this idea of like coping and numbing is a subject matter I'm curious to hear your opinion on right now. Well, I have been experiencing a really intense 
bout of depression and, you know, suicidal ideation. I'm just going to be totally real about it. I talked about this. I, I posted something on Instagram at the end of 2020, just from the heart, kind of talking about what I went through in 2020, not to compare, not to be like, my struggles are greater than your struggles or my triumphs are greater than your triumphs. I just wanted to share something from the heart. And I did talk about feeling horrifically depressed and suicidal. And, and during the holidays, especially around Christmas and in between Christmas and New Year, it was brutal. And I'm still processing a lot of interesting old traumas that have come up to be looked at again that I really had done a lot of work on with my therapist and in different modalities. But sometimes, you know, deep, deep traumatic psychological wounds are very sticky and they're they're very resilient in terms of how they sort of grow different heads like the mythical hydra in our lives. And without getting, you know, necessarily too deep into the the nuances of why I think I've been really feeling depressed. I'm well, I'll get it a little bit. You know, I, I've really been missing my family. I've been missing my mom. I've been feeling extremely lonely. I've been feeling like an attitude Whitney sort of like, yay, great. So we, you know, we survived 2020. You know, no one's handing out gold medals. You know, it's it's been really this sad sort of def I don't know. It's not a feeling of triumph, you know? It's just been a feeling of sadness and depression lately. So to answer your question, I have noticed that I have in moments been compulsively reaching for crunchy, sugary things. And I've talked about this in terms of my struggles in our Consistency Code community, which is one of our courses that we have a, a really great engaged online community for. I've talked about it in there. I've talked about it, I think, on the podcast previously that one of my Achilles heels with in terms of my my eating and my consumption is is sugar and crunchy things. I find that if I'm really stressed or depressed or anxious, if I can find like a salty, sweet, crunchy snack, that tends to somehow soothe me temporarily, but it doesn't make the trauma go away, of course. It doesn't make me not subject to processing my pain and depression and those things. It's just, it's sort of a temporary balm. So I, I, I've noticed myself eating more sugar, more crunchy things, more snacky foods, and less, you know, really good nourishing meals lately. And then the other thing too, I've been just having a lot of insomnia. So not only for my pain from surgery and the recovery I've had from my motorcycle accident, but to allay the insomnia, I've been doing a lot of CBD, THC, magnesium. But I wouldn't necessarily call that like a coping mechanism per se. I'm, I'm not using drugs to escape. I'm using them to sleep. And maybe a person could look at that and say, oh, well, you know, you're, you're using that as a crutch to help you sleep. And to that, I say, so fucking what? I mean, I need sleep. And I find that if I go two or three days with insomnia, I'm a wreck. So I suppose in essence, wit, you know, I'm trying to really just pay attention to how I use sugar and snacks and processed food to kind of temporarily distract myself from the pain, fully knowing intellectually, it's not going to make the pain go away. You know, there's that layer to it of I'm eating this food, I'm drinking this alcohol, I'm doing this drug. Am I doing it to try and escape knowing goddamn well, I'm not going to escape the thing that I'm facing. You know, that's the thing is like, on a basic intellectual level, we know it's not going to make the problem or the suffering or the trauma go away. It's just going to delay the feeling of it. Absolutely. And and I think I feel extra compelled to explore this subject matter because, you know, it's normal to drink. It's normalized in our society. It's seen as a very common, acceptable thing to do. And the more that I have been reflecting and observing all of this response, I see that there are so many ways that alcohol has affected people negatively. And it's interesting, right? Because it kind of reminds me, Jason, of drugs and pornography. These are subject matters that we've talked about in some episodes. And I'm not anti most things. <laughs> it's funny, like I, I, I don't think in general, I would say I'm anti because I don't really want life to be so black and white. Even though I'm vegan, for example, I'm not necessarily, it's actually, I'm, I'm trying to say this out loud for the, <laughs> properly because I suppose I'm, I'm anti-animal products, right? But like part of me still has a sliver of acceptance for people because people make different decisions for different reasons. And I can't assume that their reasons are bad, right? Like, we put so much judgment on people for what they eat and they drink. And I think this is why this subject matter is so triggering. And on the same note, the more that you 
look at people and and listen to their reasons for what they do, you realize that there is so much happening in other people's lives that we don't understand at all. And I think that's part of the reason this is very intriguing to me. I saw this video on TikTok and and somebody actually I might reach out to to have as a guest on our show, Jason, because this is incredibly fascinating. She's doing a mini series on TikTok about what it was like to grow up with a mother who was a mommy blogger. And she said that her mom started blogging when she was about eight years old. And I think that she's in her 20s now. And she's sharing the experiences she had and mostly bad experiences she had and how because her mom was so obsessed with blogging that actually impacted her life as a child in a really negative way. And one of the videos she talked about her mom's use of alcohol and just listening to her, I was like, wow, it sounds like it's really tough to grow up with somebody who drinks a lot of alcohol. Like actually in the context, it was about how it's so acceptable. And this is so fascinating. I'm I'm getting really excited about this, Jason, because I'm like, wow, I never thought about this. She was saying how it's so incredibly acceptable for moms to go on their blogs, on social media, on, you know, their private social media accounts like Facebook with their friends, like talking to other people in whatever form about drinking because their children are so hard to deal with. And this girl is explaining in her TikTok video, she's like, it was really tough for me mentally to see my mom say things like, oh, I'm going to need a glass of wine to get through this day with my daughter. And she said it was hurtful and like deeply painful and confusing because then I started to think, what am I doing that's causing my mom so much stress that she needs to cope or numb herself with a glass of wine? That is so fascinating and visceral to receive that because you just sparked something in me, a reflection, Whitney, of saying that. My mom and my dad were not bloggers and are not bloggers by by any sense. But I wonder if, wow, this is interesting. I wonder if the, you know, one of my biggest traumas is my feelings of not enoughness and never being good enough and really the seemingly never-ending amount of healing and work around those deep-seated belief systems in my cosmology. But, you know, my dad had an alcohol and drug problem, and it it actually was part of the reasons that led him to homelessness and what I consider dying pretty young. And, you know, my mom has also had challenges with smoking throughout her life. And I wonder if psychologically, just to transpose this story, if subconsciously I took on something similar, right? Of as a child, you observe your parents doing something that is, I'm not even sure what my perspective would be as a child, you know, this thing, smoking, drinking, drugs, whatever it is, and seeing them suffer or seeing them in pain or seeing them out of control and wondering, did I have something to do with this response? Am I responsible for them numbing themselves or checking out in this way? That I've never, ever even considered that. And for some reason, you bringing that up, it hit me in a very peculiar and particular way. You know, as kids, if we observe our parents, I don't know, hurting themselves, numbing themselves, checking out, if we somehow subconsciously think that maybe our presence or our existence is to blame for that. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating. And it's something for me to reflect on too, because my mom was never a big drinker. Neither was my dad, but they do drink and they drink for the enjoyment of it. You know, well, actually I take that back. I think my mom probably drinks because she enjoys that feeling that she gets from alcohol. And it didn't seem like that big of a deal. In fact, as an adult, I really enjoyed drinking with my parents. My dad really introduced me to like whiskey and scotch. And I savor the moments of sitting down with him and having a glass of scotch or whiskey with him and and tasting it because it's not something you really guzzle down. And those positive memories and associations make me feel like I probably didn't have those thoughts growing up, but who knows? Like These are the things, to your point, Jason, that we might have never thought about before, and it might take some time for us to process it and and to meditate on it and and look back and say, like, hmm, like how has alcohol impacted my life? And, And that's actually what I've been thinking a lot about and will probably continue to think about as I connect with all these people on TikTok. And it's interesting now in this moment thinking like, hmm, 
I think my parents, they wouldn't have a problem at all if I sat down with them and just had a a non-alcoholic beverage. I don't think they would be judgmental. In fact, I was drinking the curious elixirs when I was visiting them the last time in Massachusetts and they were fascinated by it. You know, I don't I don't think that there was like judgment with my family members, you know what I mean? But I think some people do have a lot of really intense experiences with them. And that could be related to addiction or coping or just kind of feeling like it's that black and white thing. Like either you're a drinker and if you don't drink, there's something wrong with you or the other way around. Like maybe you don't drink and there's something wrong with people who do drink. And I think that's the other side of this conversation and why I prefer to be in that gray area because I don't want to take it to either extreme. And this is something that I'm being really mindful of on TikTok right now. It's like, first of all, I'm a little nervous. Like, do people think I'm sober? Do people think like I'm against alcohol? Because I'm certainly not. In the past few years, not only have I been sponsored by Seedlip, but I was sponsored by Absolute Vodka at one point. And I'm not a huge vodka drinker, but I actually think Absolute Vodka does a lot of great things for the planet. And that's what I was doing. We did a beach cleanup. We did, gosh, what was the other project? One of them was like, oh, it was around like music. They did a really cool music event. But then it starts to get me thinking, like, is this all just like marketing to try to convince us to buy their products? Like, hey, we're a hip company. You should drink more alcohol. And that's actually the other side I want to examine at some point, once I finish talking about this judgment side of it. The other side I want to talk about later, Jason, is how there's so much marketing involved because there's a ton of money to be made when it comes to alcohol. But before we get there, to finish this idea around the extremes, because what I'm nervous about right now, and I, I know that like logically I don't need to be afraid about this because I've been through this so many times, like when you say something and people get offended, triggered by it, like they can come out and attack you. And that's that's the downside of growing <laughs> online. The more people you reach, the, the more trolls and bad comments that you're susceptible to. And I haven't really experienced that with TikTok yet. And so it's like causing me a little nervousness. But right now I'm okay with it because I know that being in that gray area, I can reach both people. You know, maybe I can help people see that just because you don't drink doesn't mean that you need to be excluded from the group and vice versa. Just because you do drink, you don't necessarily need to feel shame around it, especially if it's not causing you or other people harm. And I think that's ultimately my opinion, my stance on alcohol. If it's something that you can feel balanced with, it's something that you find joy in, that's something that you treat with respect, and something that doesn't have a ripple effect that causes a negative impact on somebody else, then generally I'm okay with it. And I feel like you're on the same boat with that, right, Jason? Yeah. Well, I am, but I think it's a little more nuanced in in, in my perspective in the sense that, you know, unless we're talking about and I'm speaking out of complete ignorance. I'm not a sommelier. I'm not a historian or chemist who works with alcohol. I'm, I'm saying this out of my own very limited perspective. I mean, everything is being said out of my own very limited perspective. But you know, other than say certain varietals of wine that have the resveratrol from the grapes, which there have been an infinite, just ad nauseum number of studies regarding the potential benefits for our our blood and our cardiac health by having a glass of wine or two a day. We can look at the Blue Zones from Dan Buettner and, and his research looking at people like on the island of Sardinia and different places in Italy where you know they're not eschewing wine there. These are people living healthfully to the age of 100 and beyond, and they're, they're not anti-alcohol, right? So we could look at that research and say, how fascinating. Look at the antioxidants, look at the resveratrol, but most liquor, right, or beer or things like that does not have any, in, again, in terms of what I've seen, any substantive nutrient value, right? It's just kind of like empty calories, as you said, a social lubricant, a distraction from our pain, something we think we ought to do to fit in. So, you know, for me, I always look at it too of, Is this something that is really serving me? Is it something that's really beneficial for me on a biological level, on a nutritive level, on a spiritual level? And that being said, you know, as I mentioned, I do drink Japanese whiskey from time to time and I have a glass of wine from time to time. I just think that, I don't know, most alcohol does not have a specific 
benefit to human biology or longevity, most alcohol. So that that's part of my perspective. The other thing too, before I forget, Whitney, you had mentioned a few minutes ago about looking at any sort of studies or statistics about people's consumption habits during 2020 and during the pandemic. I found something really interesting I want to mention on healthline.com that again, we'll link to in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section and it will take you to the show notes. So there's been some research done with by some scientists and researchers from the RAND Corporation, R-A-N-D, that have found that binge drinking specifically during among women, has increased significantly during the pandemic. They say that various contributors of stress, anxiety, and physical and social isolation are the main contributors to the issue. And they said that the COVID-19 restrictions in most cities are preventing people from physically attending counseling or 12-step or AA meetings, and that people not eating healthy, the lack of exercise, the gyms being shut down, and insomnia are contributing to higher levels of stress. So apparently they took data from 6,000 Americans that they surveyed and found that the frequency of drinking measured in days per month that alcohol was being consumed increased by 14% and 17% specifically among women. So they talked about binge drinking and these startling findings for women saying that the researchers in the study found that heavy drinking, binge drinking, rose 41% among the women in this survey, noting that one of every five women in this study had consumed heavy amounts of alcohol at least one additional day per month compared to the previous year. So really, really interesting. It talks about the demographics in terms of white or Hispanic women. It's a longer article, but it's really looking at the specific reasons. I'll just, I'll end on this. 53% said they were drinking more heavily to try to cope with stress. 39% said they were trying to relieve their boredom. And here's really interesting. 32% of the respondents said they were trying to drink to cope with their mental health issues like anxiety or depression. So we're going to link to this article. It's really, really well written, but to answer your question, Wit, yeah, drinking is up and in higher amounts in women. Fascinating. And <laughs> I'm just in deeply intrigued by this. It's something that, again, I want to be delicate with because I even had this moment because like there's this one friend of mine who I associate with wine. So whenever I hear something about wine, she's the friend I'll forward it to. I'll be like, hey, check out this new wine I learned about or this new wine tool. Like, she is somebody that I've I've made that association with. And that's super fascinating to me. And I, I had this moment when my TikTok video started to gain so much traction of thinking like, what if she sees this and thinks that I'm anti-alcohol now? You know, like I'm afraid my friends are going to think that I'm judging them for drinking alcohol. And I've never said that I'm anti-alcohol. So I, I shouldn't be that concerned because people can make their their assumptions about who I am and why I do what I do. Of course, you can't really control that. But it was an interesting fear to observe. And I'm not quite sure if I'll if I'll like come out with a, a statement or or whatever on TikTok and and whether that's even necessary or or people would even care about that. But it's fascinating to think like, hmm, that same friend, like why do I associate her so much with wine? And why does she drink so much wine? You know, like what's going on with her that it has become such a big part of her life? And I hadn't really reflected on that much because it's so socially acceptable. You know, like it is such a common thing that I wonder if people have addictive behavior that is going unnoticed either by their friends or even by within themselves because it's socially acceptable. Does that make sense? Like people might not even realize that they have addictions. I mean, the same thing could be said about something like weed, especially now that marijuana is so readily available. You know, I have dated men, one in particular, that definitely used marijuana to cope with his life. And it was just socially acceptable to smoke a shit ton of weed. And I didn't really think much about it. You know, I noticed it for sure, but it wasn't like, this guy has a problem. And looking back, I'm like, did he have a problem? Like, and how do you even define when you do have one? You know, and it comes back to my belief system around like, generally, I view a problem as hurting somebody or or having a bigger impact on the environment or animals or, you know, somebody suffering as a result. But we also have to remember that 
that person might be suffering internally and not even fully recognize it or might because they're in so much denial around it. Yeah, this is a super nuanced and very individual sort of examination, isn't it? Because if we have behaviors in our society that are so common, that are encouraged through, as you mentioned, Whitney, marketing, billion-dollar advertising budgets, or perhaps patterning after our parents or our loved ones or our family. You know, I've always been driven, even as a child, but increasingly so in adulthood. And I've mentioned, we've joked about how I'm this very rebellious person, and that's always been an aspect of my personality. For me, I think it's been looking at behaviors of not only my family, but society in general, and asking, is this a beneficial behavior? Are people happier, more joyful, more content, healthier as a result of this? And I remember kind of looking at certain behaviors, probably through you know my family and, and my parents of smoking, you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, things like that, and going, this is not resulting in good. This is this is causing a lot of havoc and pain and suffering in our family in our household. And I think for me, maybe part of the reason was kind of observing that, you know, and. And being in the advertising industry for a decade, and, and again, I've talked about the tactics and some of the psychological manipulation techniques that we used. You know, you look at most of the alcohol commercials that are out there, right? And what are most alcohol commercials? There's some funny, creative, out, out of the box ones sometimes, but most of them are sort of this regurgitated, prototypical, subconscious manipulation of, huh, everyone's on the beach, yeah, uh, everyone is drinking, yeah, look at all this hors d'oeuvres that we're enjoying on the beach in Tulum. You know, it's like, hey, everyone's getting together and having fun and everyone's sexy and everyone's fit and you're never going to see an overweight person, you're never going to see a disabled person. Everyone's this perfectly curated concept of socially accepted beauty standards and they're having fun and they're at a party or they're at a graduation or they're on the beach or, you know, there's some really fancy car or a dude's trying to get laid. I mean, it really, if you look at the concepts behind alcohol advertising, they're very boring and very rote, but they work. Why? Because people are fucking lonely. People feel excluded. People are desperate for connection and community, especially right now. And if you see those kind of subconscious things being shown to you during a football game or during your favorite TV show, you know, sometimes 8, 10, 12, 15 times in a broadcast, it's like, oh, maybe I will feel better if I drink. You know, that might not be a conscious thought of like, I want to be like the people on the beach. But when you get hammered with that kind of messaging over and over and over and over again for years or decades, I think it encourages the thing you're talking about, Wit, of, oh, well, this is just this is just what we do. This is societally acceptable. And and then it's a fine line between, am I using this substance as a crutch? Am I using it to mask my pain or try and not think about my trauma and my suffering? To me, I think the reason I'm saying this is I think it's important that with whatever we're consuming, alcohol, drugs, food, beverages, impressions, what we watch, that's food too. The books we read, the media outlets, the things we're watching. What is the intention, right? Is it to numb? Is it to check out? Is it to subvert? Is it to avoid? Why are we doing it? I mean, we it's kind of rote, but it, I think it comes down to the question of like, why am I doing this? And get trying to get as clear as we can about that answer. Absolutely. And when you were talking about people justifying their behavior in essence, which is like, just let me do this thing, whether it's drinking alcohol, doing drugs, you know, overeating, uh, binge eating is a better term, whatever behavior that could potentially be destructive to them. People are afraid to let go of those things because they associate them with feeling better, you know, and they associate themselves with deserving it because of loneliness, for example. And it's so fascinating. I mean, that that word loneliness too, Jason, is something that I've heard you share for something that you suffer a lot with. And I, I'd love to explore that a little bit more if, if you're open to it, because I don't know if I feel that lonely. Like I, it's a word that I, I don't know, is it like because I'm so introverted or is it just because it's not a, a trigger for me? You know, like, but loneliness is a trigger for you. And I would love to hear you speak about that more. And, and what do you do when you feel lonely? Like, do you go to something? Do you start doing something as a, as a result of that? Like, do you have a specific thing that you do to cope with that loneliness feeling, I suppose? 
Well, I want to say that there's two separate things in terms of aloneness and loneliness. And I don't feel loneliness that often, but when I do, it hits really hard. I take intentional aloneness a lot because I feel for me, as someone who is, I suppose, deeper into the extrovert scale, which the pandemic has been challenging for a whole litany of other reasons being an extrovert, when I take intentional aloneness with to journal or to meditate or to play the guitar or write things out on, on my whiteboard, which these are things I've been doing during my holiday blues, if you will, recently, but the loneliness kind of hits out of nowhere. You know, I was feeling really sad this year about not being able to see my mom and my family back in Detroit for the holidays. And and for the past few years, my mom has actually come out to Los Angeles to visit me here. And, you know, we've spent the holidays together with with friends and, and yourself included, Whitney. But I think for this year, for some reason, maybe it's because I've just been really sensitive and internal after my motorcycle accident. And full disclosure, my mom also had a pretty severe accident around the same time. You know, it was this deeper pull and desire to be with her and be with my family and have that nourishing, connected experience with with the people I love. And, you know, it was really difficult for me to deal with that. How did I handle and how do I handle loneliness? I have found I've started journaling again for the first time in probably a year. And it's been really interesting to re-engage that, Whitney, because most of the writing or creating that I do is usually for some some other intent or purpose, right? Whether that's me writing the newsletters for Wellevator or or doing the blog posts or you and I collaborating on any a number of the really cool ebooks we've done, you know, usually my writing is like, okay, there's a specific intent or aim as to why I'm sitting down and writing. But the journaling recently has been like picking up an old friend. It's been like, oh, right. There's no aim or intent for anyone to see this or consume this. This is just for you to get your feelings and your thoughts and your perspectives on paper. And that's that's it. Like it ends there. There's no other reason for this. And I actually, I actually had kind of like an interesting slash morbid thought the other day when I was journaling, which was, I wonder what is going to happen to all of these journals from all over the years. Because I, I have probably here at the house dozens of journals going back to my early 20s of where I would pick up, I'd journal for a few years, and then I'd set it down and start up again. And I thought, I wonder when I die, who's going to pick up the... Is anyone going to pick up these journals? Are they going to bother to open up and read them? Or are they just going to, you know, toss them in a bonfire somewhere? <laughs> you know, but but then I thought, you know, who the fuck cares? It's not... I'm not journaling so that, you know, 30, 40, whatever, how many decades from now, or who knows how much longer I'm going to be here. Someone picks these up and go, oh, that's what Jason was thinking on March 18th, 2004. He was really sad. Journaling is just interesting in that sense wit, where I feel like I'm able to emotionally process certain things with no intention of anyone ever knowing, seeing, or receiving what's on those pages. As opposed to, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to publish this book. I'm going to write this blog post. I'm going to do this dissertation. I'm going to do something that's for the consumption of other people. So I feel like journaling has just been a really good grounding tool and a good way for me to navigate the depression and the sadness I've been feeling lately. Mm, that's really nice to hear because just hearing what is effective for other people is helpful for me and I imagine the listener as well because it's such a basic thing, you know, it's a simple thing. Anybody can do it. You don't even need any special tools unless you count a pencil or pen as a tool, but you can grab a piece of scrap paper, you can find a crayon, a marker. Like it's really something that we've had access to, most of us, for many of our lives. And I love that you can go back to that simplicity and yet have such a huge impact on your life that probably brings you a lot of positive benefits and, and doesn't have any drawbacks aside from taking some time, right? And I think that's why this subject matter has been so intriguing. It's like getting to the core of why we do things is one of the things that interests me the most. And when we step back and examine like why somebody decides to drink or why they don't drink, it's, it's really it's something that varies from person to person, you know, and going back to this marketing side of things and capitalism, like that's the part that brings me a lot of sadness because I wonder how many people drink simply because it's been marketed to them. You know, if we if we look at the roots, certainly the way that you're raised plays a big role in our behavior. And then the social situations that we're in also plays a big role. 
you know? But marketing, I think, might be at the root of most of those things because the way that we're raised might be impacted by marketing. Like maybe your mother, father, whatever parental figure in your life uses alcohol because it was marketed to them in a really successful way. You know, like they see enough advertisements, they go and try something, it tastes really good, it makes them feel good, and suddenly it's a huge part of their life. And same thing socially. I mean, to your point, Jason, when you're talking about like these advertisements, like when you are young and you are exploring life and you're getting to know yourself and people around you, like drinking can be a huge part of peer pressure and it can be something that you're curious about. And then then in, in the country like the United States where we're not legally allowed to drink until a certain age, like suddenly it feels rebellious going back to what you said. Like there's so many layers to all of this. And if you don't tune into the deeper reasons that are driving that behavior, it can get really out of control and you can lose sight of why you made that decision in the first place, you know, and I'm fascinated just reflecting on that for myself. Like, I really wish I could remember, like, what made me decide to pick up wine? I'm guessing, I mean, and I'm saying in 2020, like, I would estimate it was probably in April or May I remember going to the grocery store and it was like the package design catches my eye, the placement of it in the store. I mean, those things too. It's not just like an ad on social media or on television or, you know, a product placement in a movie or whatever, like all these subtle ways that these things are put in front of us. We have to remember like going to a store is also part of it too. And and when you see fun colors and fonts or these stores are paid money to display these products in a certain way and then they put them on sale. Like I remember that was a draw for me too. It's like, ooh, like wine sounds good. Oh, it's on sale. Like I might as well pick this up. And then you find yourself going through this this habit. And I remember I felt good drinking wine and I was feeling stressed at the time. And then that felt like a reward. So then I bought more of it. And like if you don't have that awareness, like you can spiral really quickly and it be- can become such a deep habit of yours that you don't even remember where it started from. And I think the same thing is true with the restaurant business and bars, you know, like they make so much money selling you alcohol. And, and that reminds me too that restaurants were like and currently are, were and, and are now in 2021, offering drinks to go. Like you could get a margarita kit from some of these chain restaurants and they would give you all the supplies to bring home and have your own margarita at home so they could continue to make money off of you because restaurants and bars make so much off of alcohol. This whole conversation reminds me of something I haven't thought about in years, which is a class that I was in in college when I was studying media, advertising, entertainment, all of those things. And I remember one of my teachers, we were talking about the psychology of advertising. It was it was actually a psychology of advertising class. And I don't remember his last name, but the teacher's first name was Eric. I remember that. And he made this really bold declarative statement, which I challenge now, but I think for the most part, I agree with. I remember in one class, he said, nothing that's actually good for you is going to be advertised on television. He said, pay attention. Just pay attention. Like next time you sit down and you watch a few hours of television, just watch what they're advertising to you. And it's a very broad sweeping generalization, right? But I remember, and this was the mid nineties, you know, I remember going home and watching TV and going like, okay, fast food, pharmaceutical drugs, alcohol, clothes made in a sweatshop, a car that I don't really need that's kind of, you know, doesn't get great gas mileage, whatever. I remember watching and going like, oh shit, none of this is actually good for me. And again, I mean, there's exceptions, you know, there's ads for avocados, you know, but I think for the most part, I agree with that. I think that the corporate machine is driven by profit and shareholder value. We know this, right? The corporate model in capitalism is driven by sheer profit and sheer shareholder value. Now, there's a lot of corporations that especially are B corporations that are driven by more ethical standards and fair trade wages and trying to give back to the environment or animal life. But for the most part, our paradigm of business, especially in the United States and many other first world countries is just make as much money as possible and get that stock price up and fuck the rest. So I think in a way, there's another layer of this, Whitney, in terms of 
how we vote with our dollars and the businesses and the products and the ideologies that we are funding with our money. You know, that's where I really go to in this conversation as well is not just looking at the psychology behind this or what it's doing to us on a mental, physical, spiritual level, these things we consume, consumer products. But what are we supporting and what are we voting for in doing so? Do I feel like alcohol companies, and you talked about Absolute doing their cleanups and stuff, but for the most part, okay, do I feel like alcohol companies are doing good in the world? No, not really. You know, do I feel like fast food companies are doing good in the world? I mean, with the exception of maybe the Beyond Burger or Impossible showing up at certain outlets, no, they're not really doing good in the world. They're doing a lot of harm. And I don't mean to be so black and white, but I think in the gray area, it's important for us to examine what is this doing to my body, my family, my well-being, but also what ripple effect is this having in the world? Because everything we spend money on, everything we support, everything we give attention to, everything we put our money toward has a ripple effect. You know, that's the interconnectedness of being here. So I know as we wrap up here, I just wanted to kind of introduce that of really thinking about what are my daily consumption habits affecting beyond me? And that's a really, really critical question, I think. Yes. And I think also another element of this is having awareness about different circumstances. You know, actually, one thing I didn't touch upon is that I learned a ton about Muslim people. <laughs> like, I really don't know that much about their culture and their religion. Honestly, the most I've learned is from the show, uh, I think it's pronounced Remy on Hulu, which is a phenomenal TV show because it feels like it's educational and it's very interesting and it's very well done. And that's really some of the most I've learned about Muslim culture. And there were so many people commenting on my videos saying that they were Muslim and they were so grateful to learn about non-alcoholic drinks because they often feel so left out. And I was insanely grateful. You know, there's so many different reasons that somebody drinks or doesn't drink. And I, I think for us to open up our eyes and our hearts and to do more listening, to ask more questions, to work on being more inclusive and not making assumptions, catching ourselves when we might make fun of somebody for their choices or shame them for whatever they're doing. And I think that you and I, Jason, have learned so much about this simply by being vegan. You know, like there's a lot of social criticism, there's social praise, like there's so many different elements of judgment when it comes to the way that we eat. And so this is like that next step of reflecting on the way that we drink. And whenever I can grow my own awareness and have more compassion for people, I'm incredibly grateful. And I hope that the listener found interest in this and, and has more to think about. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to know your perspectives on this. Do you drink? or not? Why or why not? And telling us your story is something that we're deeply interested in. And whatever we can learn about you and however we can support you more, we'd really love to know. So you can share that with us in a few different ways. One is to go to our website, wellevator.com. Again, that's spelled W-E-L-L. EVATR.com. And you can find our email address there. You can find links to our social media, which is all under at Wellevator. And you can find the show notes for this episode and comment there, which is actually a neat way to start a conversation because you might find other comments. And privately, you can message us, like I said, through direct message on a platform like Instagram. That's what we use the most to communicate with people. Uh, you can email us as well. Again, our, our email address is on our website. And if you want to have a public dialogue, I really feel like social media can be wonderful for that too. If you want to come over to my TikTok account, this is not on the Wellevator account at the moment, but it's on my personal at Wit Lauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. That's me on TikTok. We'll link to that as well so you can find me and you can check out these comments, watch these videos, join the conversations, and I would love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for exploring this today, Jason. Uh, we will work on bringing some more people onto the show that can talk about this with more knowledge and awareness beyond what we've brought today. So stay tuned. You can hit the subscribe button so that you'll be alerted when we have new episodes. If this resonates with you and you think it would resonate with somebody else, please share it with them. We really appreciate you helping us spread the word. We're so grateful for you. Thank you for listening all the way through to this episode and we'll be back with another one in just a few days. 
Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to Wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.